As a two-year-old, you love to say this word. In fact, it was probably the number one word in your vocabulary. You said this word with confidence, with gusto, with a smile on your face. Uh, you want to take a guess what you said, what word you said the most as a two-year-old? Go ahead, whatever room you're in, guess real quick, say it out loud. What is the word? Well, the favorite word for every two-year-old is the word no. Clean your room. No. Eat your vegetables. No. Share your toys. No. Just no, no, no. Now, the older that we get and the more we go down in life, one of the things that we realize is that people like us better if we say yes rather than say no. In fact, we don't like it when other people say no to us and Other people don't like us as much when we say no to them. A friend of mine uh, sent me a short little video for us to look at what it looks like to say no. Hey, no. So that's what you're in for when a person says no. And Who wants to deal with something like that? I mean, the reality is, is that no is just a tiny two-letter word, and yet many of us have struggle being able to say it. Now, the reason I think that people don't like to say the word no is because no can sound so negative. It can sound so kind of final. Yes, on the other hand, sounds positive and people like to hear that. And yet it's very important for you and I to learn to say that two letter word. No. In fact, I think that we need to say no many more times than we say yes. Now. Is there anyone in any room right now, a person like myself, who has a hard time saying no? Just mass confession. Everybody just kind of raise your hand. Okay, I can't see you, but I'm sure that's many of us. And the reason that I think we struggle to say no is that many times when we say no, we feel like we should have an excuse attached to it. For example, uh, I would like to do that, but, you know, I've been so busy and so I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to say no. Or I would like to help out with that particular thing, but, you know, my daughter has come down with a, a cold and she's sick. Shiloh, cough real loud so that they hear it through the phone. Or, you know, I'd really like to kind of help with that project, but my dog just threw up. Fido, you know, make a noise. And we all have a tendency of kind of having a flowery kind of excuse because we struggle to just say no. And yet what would be more impactful for people's lives if we were able to say a nice no? I think this is why Jesus was very direct when he said these words. He said this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In fact, whatever room you're in right now, let's say that out loud together. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, to understand kind of the background that's leading up to this, 
is that you have to realize that Jesus was talking to a group of religious, legalistic uh, people called Pharisees. And these were people who uh, were thinking very highly of themselves. They were kind of arrogant. And he says this, that you should let your yes be yes and your no be no, because... Uh, the Pharisees had devised this system of sidestepping the truth. They didn't tell the truth, so they would try to swear on something to make what they were saying, even though it was a lie, something that was greater. They would swear by God. They would swear by their uh, family. They would swear by Jerusalem. It was an all-out effort, though, simply to sidestep the truth. And Jesus stepped in and said, hey, guys, hey, instead of swearing on things and doing all of that, why don't you just let your yes be yes and your no be no? And here, what Jesus is saying is that if you have a real, authentic kind of relationship with God, your character will be so noble and will be so true that when you say yes, you mean it, and that when you say no, you mean it. So let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. If you would, I'd like you to think for a moment about this last week, and how many times did you say no? And on the flip side, how many times in your week did you say yes? I mean, just think about it. How many events took place where you either said yes or you said no? And this kind of leads us to our big idea this morning, and it is this. Saying no always leads to a bigger yes. Every time that you say no, it always leads to a bigger yes. You know, if you think about it, folks, yes and no, they kind of fit together. So I have to say no so that I can have a bigger yes. I've got to say no to some things so that I can say a bigger yes to Jesus. I have to say no to some things so I can say a bigger yes to my spouse. I've got to say no to some things so that I say a bigger yes to my kids. I've got to say no to some things so that I can say a bigger yes to my friend, to my parents. And when I say no, I'm always saying yes to something that is bigger. So if you think about it, folks, no, actually, is a very positive thing. And during this crisis, during this pandemic, when there's so many things changing around us all the time and people are trying to take our time from us, it is imperative for you and I to simply say at times, no. Because when we say no, we are saying yes to something that is bigger. And Jesus said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Now, maybe nobody in the history of the world kind of mastered the art of saying no more than Jesus. And today, what I want us to do is to look at three no's that he gave in the very early part of his ministry. 
So for the rest of our time, what I'm going to do is kind of share those three no's. They actually were temptations that Jesus said no to. And then I want to give you a practical step for each one of them that you can walk out in your own life. Now, a little background before we enter into this story. Jesus has been born. He's lived with his parents. He finally gets to the age of 30 and he's on his own and he's independent. His public ministry starts and it all begins with him getting baptized in the Jordan River by his uh, cousin named John the Baptist. And in the midst of this baptism from heaven, God comes down and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then in Luke chapter four, the story continues by saying this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those times. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, here was the thought throughout Jesus's life, and especially in the Old Testament, is that he wanted people to know that he was a biblical scholar. So he was always constantly going back, letting people know what was said in the Old Testament. Now, there's a really important context to this whole concept called bread Alone. Uh, it's from a passage in Deuteronomy in which Moses, you know, the guy who parted the Red Sea with God's power, where Moses actually gives some words late on, later in life when he's thinking through kind of the presence of God and what God has done for him and how God has provided for the Israelites as well. And in Deuteronomy, we are given these words from Moses to the Israelites. God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. And manna was simply kind of this sweet bread, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, throughout Israel's journey, The truth is, is what they had learned is that you do live by bread alone. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And when they were in Egypt, they had this message in their mind. You don't have enough. And if you don't have enough, you just got to get more and more and more. And so Jesus, while he's in, uh, you know, this kind of debate with the, the devil, He comes back to this passage where he reminds the people of the time that Moses and the Israelites had spent in the wilderness. That it was in the wilderness that God had taught them a a very important lesson that needed to go deep about spiritual life and about economic life. And basically what God would say is no. I'm going to provide for you. You need to trust me. He he basically was saying, I'll give you enough manna, enough bread for the day, but I'm not going to give you more than that so that you learn that I provide everything for you 
and you will learn to trust me. And this kind of leads us to the first temptation that we can look at, and it's this. You are what you have. You are what you have. Folks, the world is going to try to convince you, you are what you have. You should live by bread alone. Now, when the Bible talks about bread, uh, the Bible's not just referring to that object that we put into a toaster and that we have toast with. When the Bible talks about bread, what it's referring to is our stuff. Any of our stuff is what is bread. That's why sometimes you might hear someone says, give me some bread. Uh, in other words, my stuff is my bread. My possessions are my bread. My treasures are my bread. Bread is symbolic of stuff. A nicer car, a nicer television, a nicer house. It's all of your nice stuff. A few years ago, uh, a friend of mine by the name of Greg had challenged me to do a triathlon. Now, it wasn't this gigantic kind of uh, triathlon that you see on television where they run two and a half miles, they go 112 miles on a bicycle, and then they run 26.2 miles. It, It wasn't a full marathon. It was a sprint marathon. And what a sprint marathon basically was, was you sprint as fast as you can until you die. And I almost died doing this. Now, in a sprint uh, triathlon, you swim 500 meters, you bike 13 miles, and then you run a 5K. And so in the midst of training for the bike piece, we actually uh, trained on the Cardinal Greenway. The problem was, is Greg had a really kind of fancy bike that was awesome and could do all kinds of things, and I did not have one. Greg's bike looked really nice, like this one, and my bike looked more like this. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite that bad. It wasn't, you know, quite, uh, you know, the uh, training wheels, but it was close. It was close. And I had this bike, but I could never keep up with him. And I became very unhappy, and I started, you know, kind of becoming like a little kindergartner, wanting to have my own way. So I decided that I needed something nicer, something that, you know, I could spend some bread on so that I could stay up with Greg. And so I went to this real expensive bike shop, and I saw the bike. Ta-da! And I'm thinking to myself, that's it. And this little voice in my mind started to say, you would look good on that bike. And if you got that bike, you could stay up with Greg. And so I bought the bike. It was over $600 for a bike. And I used that bike, and I could stay up with Greg, and I lasted through that triathlon. And at the end of that triathlon, guess how many times I've used that bike since? Zero. Zilch. Nada. It simply is collecting dust being stored away. Folks, this is what I want to say. Every single one of you are going to hear a voice sometimes that says, if you just had a little more bread, then you could get what you wanted. 
Bread alone is fine. Bread alone is all that you need. A great theologian named Mirror Wolf in a book of his called Flourishing talks about the need for faith in human life. And he writes these words. When we live by bread alone, there is never enough bread. Not even when we make so much of it that some of it rots away. When we live by bread alone, we will always want more and better bread. This is what our world will say to you. You are what you have. And if you don't have much, then you're not much. Man, there's so many times that that I hear that from other people. Well, I don't have much, so I I just must not be worth much. And folks, that is one of the greatest lies from Satan himself. You are more than what you have because you are God's child. And it's important for you to realize when I'm tempted by that, that I am what I have, that there is a practical step Even to that. And so that's our first temptation. And the step for that is this. Do without some stuff. Just go ahead and do without some stuff. You know, when you and I came into this world, what we were was not a little bundle of joy or love. We were a bundle of appetites. Uh, That's right. That's who you and I were. That's why children love this semi or this Sesame Street character. What's his name? Yeah, it's the cookie monster. And you remember the cookie monster philosophy, right? Uh, See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. Now, there are really smart people who stay up really late at night trying to market in such a way that you will live your life like the cookie monster. It's just a wider variety and more expensive Oreos and Gyps Ahoy. It's things like big screen TVs and a new car and a new house. And even in this pandemic that we're in, the message is still very clear. You are What you have. But Jesus says, no, no. You are so much more than that. You are a spiritual being. And you do not have to become a slave to your appetites. You know, maybe one of the biggest learnings that you and I have received during this whole crisis during this whole pandemic, is that we can actually live without some stuff. Uh, We've actually learned that we don't have to have everything, that we can actually live without it. And the problem is, is that as things start opening up and as many of you start going back to work, what the temptation will be is the world will be telling you, get back into the rat race. Get back into the rat race. Uh, forget about those walks, those bike rides, those times that you played family games together uh, with one another. Uh, forget about that. 
And let's just start going out to eat all the time. And let's go through the drive through And let's ignore those family dinners. And there will be all of these temptations within your mind as things kind of reopen for you to get back into the midst of the rat race and to believe that concept, you are what you have. But you know what? You can say no. You absolutely can say no. And you can keep doing all of those things that you want to do with your family. And rather than getting your kids kind of, you know, hyped out on steroids and activity of activity, 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 you can say no to a bigger yes. You can have a healthier pace to your life. You can keep having family dinners and you can say no to simply being a human doing, but you actually can say, nope, I'm going to continue to live my life as a human being. You can live your life with God. You can be with him. You can be with your family. You can be with your friends and you can do without some stuff. Now, I'm going to apologize right up front But I'm going to start meddling right now with some of you, okay? So get ready. Here it goes. How often do you look at this device? How often do you look at it? And how much time do you spend on it? Every time that it buzzes or beeps, are you like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to miss something? Uh, What is it? And so you're constantly looking at this. And if you hear something, maybe it's from work or maybe it's an email or a text or a Facebook message or, you know, I don't know what it is, but I've got to look. How many times are you on this device when there's a person in front of you that you love and you care for and you ignore them and you look at this? I looked at some statistics this week. And it says that just on average, on average, Americans look at this device 150 times each day. And that we spend somewhere between three to four hours just on this device. You might remember uh, a few years ago, uh, different kind of phone companies and Google, they had different apps that they were trying to let you know how much time you were on your phone so you could reduce it. And they thought this will reduce the time. You know what actually happened? People started spending 20 minutes more when they got the apps than they did before that. And so what we find is we walk through this life and when we look at human beings, we're usually looking at them like this. And they're just walking around, walking around, walking around. People are walking through this world just like this. Now, let me ask you this. What if you looked up to God 150 times? What would my life look like if I spent three or four hours spending time with God? What would happen? Well, folks, that's the temptation. The temptation is to believe you are what you have and the practice is to do without. Now, here's the second temptation that we find in this story. 
It says the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor if you worship me. It will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This idea here is Jesus. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I mean, you'll have the most impressive resume ever. You will be the most amazing person ever known. You you could use everything that is here to do with whatever you want. And this kind of leads us to our next temptation, and it's this. You are what you do. You are what you do. So why not worship your work? I mean, just sacrifice your heart, your soul, your children, your friendship, your time on the altar of achievement. Uh, why not just give in to all of that because you are what you do? And man, I hear that all the time. You are what you do. You are what you do. And folks, you are so much more than that. You are more than what you have, and you are more than what you do. Now, the practical step to this is this. Do less. Just do less. Now, in the Bible, doing less is called Sabbath. Uh, just regularly kind of giving a period of time where you do Nothing. You're not trying to create any kind of value. You're not working on anything. You're not trying to be important. You're not trying to carry the world's problems on your shoulders. You just live like a little child in the presence of God, just enjoying time with him, feeding on his word. And when you do less, what you're saying no to is a bigger Yes. You know, the thing that I found with this crisis that we're in, this pandemic that we're in, is that it has shocked our systems. Because before all of this, we were constantly on the go doing more, 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 more. And now it's like shocked our system because the frantic life that we were living. But when you do less, when you actually take time for a Sabbath, you get to say no, to the insanity and the kind of frantic, frenzied world that is all around us. I was looking this week at the magazine, The New Yorker, and kind of wondered, what is the most famous cartoon that there has ever been? And it's very interesting. It was this one of a businessman on the phone saying, no, Thursday's out. How about never? Is never good for you? I just love that. No and never. Words that you and I have a very difficult time saying. You know, what's really interesting is that at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he goes into a wilderness driven by the spirit for 40 days and he does nothing. 
He doesn't teach. He doesn't draw a crowd. He doesn't recruit a team. He doesn't get the disciples to follow him. He doesn't write a book. He doesn't heal a disease. The truth is, he does absolutely nothing because nothing is really important when there are people who are doing a lot. Let me say this. Let me say it again. Doing nothing is really important for people to do when there are people who are doing a lot. So for those of you who are tempted to think that I am what I do, you are what you do, it would be really important for you to take one day a week where you actually don't do anything significant. You don't do anything important. You simply try to be. Just linger around and allow God to lead on that day. But I don't know about you. The problem for me is that I always want pushback on that because many times I can be a slave to what I do. And I always, and I don't always like it. When I have to follow and God leads. When my wife Jennifer and I first uh, got married, we actually lived in two separate cities. We only saw each other on the weekend. And so what had to take place is that we would hang out as much on the weekend. And then so that I could have some more time with her, I would follow her uh, behind her car uh, to come back uh, to where she was going to medical school at. And, uh, the thing was, I thought, you know, I'll be kind of chivalrous and I'll be a very uh, noble kind of man and I'll let her lead and I'll follow. And if she has some car trouble, if she has a flat tire, anything like that, then I can be there to kind of, you know, help her out. Well, this went OK for a month. And then after that, I started getting so frustrated Because Jennifer is the type of person who always obeys the speed limit. And at that time, I I obeyed just getting there as fast as I could. I didn't care about anything else. And she's also the kind of person who's a little bit scared to actually, you know, pass another vehicle. And so it became very, very frustrating for me to be behind her. And so one day I said, you know what? I'm going to try to increase the pace a little bit. And so I passed her and got in front of her. Now, I know, folks, it was stupid. It was so stupid. I mean, we were not in a hurry. We didn't have to be anywhere. But I just simply wanted to be able to push the pace. The problem is she didn't listen. She just kept taking her own sweet time. And I'd get so far ahead and then I'd have to slow down. And we would do this constantly for about a month until finally Jennifer pulled me aside and she said this. She said, Bud, if you want me to lead, then you've got to follow. If you want me to lead, then you've got to get behind me. You know, that's what Jesus is saying to some of you today. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be behind him. So back to our story. Jesus goes off into the wilderness And he absolutely does nothing. Uh, Later on, he goes to a quiet place 
by himself and he does nothing. He goes up to a mountaintop and he sees this beautiful view and he does nothing. He goes to a garden and he's struggling and he's overwhelmed and he's perspiring and it's difficult and there's all kinds of pressure and he does nothing. And maybe the practice for you and I might simply be doing less. Well, one last temptation, and it goes like this into the story. It reads, the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Now, the devil then starts quoting the Bible. Did you know that? That the devil can quote the Bible, and he does it quite often. And he says this, For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting... He left Jesus until an opportune time. You know, I've kind of often wondered, what does that last little phrase, an opportune time, mean? I mean, here's the temptation. You know, you know, Jesus, you could do something spectacular. You could do something just amazing and all the people would be like, wow, that's outrageous. You could be the golden boy and everybody could be clapping and just giving you all kinds of applause and and all of that. And then here is the third temptation. You are what people think of you. You are what people think of you. See, the voice of the world says this, folks. You are what you have. You are what you do. You are who people think you are. And see, the world, when it says this, it says, then, if you are who people think you are, you've got to put something on to show people that you're something more than you actually are. You've got to be spectacular. You've got to please all the people. You've got to do anything and everything for their approval, for their applause. Because... If they disapprove of you, how awful would that be? I mean, how terrible would it be that somebody might not think as highly of you as you think they should? You know, approval of others, folks, can be an addiction. Approval of others can be an addiction. You can become a slave of approval. Now, I just want you to think about Jesus's life for a moment. Uh, Think about him. Who did Jesus not disappoint? Think about that. Who did Jesus not disappoint? Think about the crowd That came to him and said, you can be our king and you can overthrow our enemy. And Jesus said no, and he disappointed them. Uh, Think about the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They're like, hey, you know what? We don't really like you hanging around with all the riffraff, with the scum, with the sinners. We'd like you to stop doing that. And Jesus said no, and he disappointed them. 
His own mom and his brothers and sisters came to him one day and said, Jesus, you know, you're kind of crazy talking about this kingdom that you have. Can you tone it down? Can you temper it a little bit? And Jesus said no. And he disappointed them. Think about King Herod. King Herod says, would you do a miracle for me? Show me some kind of miracle. And Jesus said uh, no. And he disappointed him. Think of James and John, his Two favorite guys who came to him one day and said, Jesus, when we enter your kingdom, can we sit on your left and your right? And Jesus said no, and he disappointed them. And then he went on to disappoint all of the disciples that were there. In fact, if you think about it, every single person in Jesus' life, he disappointed at some point except one person. And that was His heavenly father. So the practical step for this one is this. Do without human approval. Do without human approval. Let somebody be disappointed in you and be okay with it. Say no to something that you need to say no to. Say no to something that you know you ought to say no to. Then, when somebody is not happy with you, just be okay with it. Don't try to change their mind. Don't try to kind of, you know, make some kind of excuse. Don't try to make your reputation better than what it is. Don't try to make your reputation something that is built on their approval. Because you are not what you have. You are not what you do. And you are not... Who everyone thinks you are. You see, folks, your true identity, your true identity is that you are a child of the Most High God. That's who you are. You are a child of the Most High God. And He loves you. And He's proud of you. You know, if you think about it, Jesus had to say no, not just at the beginning when he was talking to the devil these three times, these three temptations, but throughout his life, he was constantly saying no. He was disappointing the people around him, even to the point of him actually going to the cross. And when he even got to the cross, if you remember, he had a response. Some of you might remember that when he was hanging on the cross, the crowd starts crying out. Hey, you said you could save us. You can't even save yourself. Just come down from the cross. And then Jesus said the biggest, the most gigantic kind of no that this world has ever known. And when Jesus said No, he was saying yes to something bigger. When Jesus said no, he was allowing God to say something yes to. Jesus' no on the cross became God's yes to forgiveness and to grace and to love and to eternal life. And next week, we'll be talking about the power of yes. And I'm telling you, you are not going to want to miss it. You want to invite your friends to be online to see us talk about the power of God's 
yes. But for this week, this is my challenge to you. Is that you would be willing to walk through your week and say no. Now, for some of you, I know that's going to be very, very difficult. For some of you, you're just like, I'm not sure I can do that. The world is going to pressure you to do too much, to buy too much, to commit to too much. And so what I want to do today is kind of prime the pump a little bit for you to be able to walk through your life being able to say no. So. What I want you to do, whatever room you're in right now, wake up if you've fallen asleep, people, okay? Everybody kind of come together. And in your best voice, I want to say, I want you to say your best two-year-old no, okay? So we're going to do it on three. So here we go. One, two, three. Now! Whoa! Holy cow! I, I think it came actually through the screen. Let's pray. Loving God, we come to you today and we really do want to get better at saying no to some of the areas of our life. We want to say no so that we can be able to say yes to some of the bigger things that you are calling us to do. Lord, we acknowledge to you that we get our lives so messed up and we need you. We get burdened and overcommitted. We get tired. We get resentful. We're experts at wasting time and needing time and losing time. God, help us to not buy into this world. This world that says... You are simply what you have. You are simply what you do. You are what people think of you. And remind us that we are more than that. We are a son. We are a daughter of the Most High God. God, give us the courage this week to say the right no's so that we could grow closer to you. You know, I was thinking that maybe for some of you right now, where you're at, you've been saying no to God for a long time. You've been walking through your life and you've just been saying no, almost like a two-year-old voice. No, God. And maybe today is the day in which you finally realize, I need to stop saying no to Him. I need to stop saying no to the church. I need to stop saying no to community and I need to say yes to the God of the universe. And so if you are ready right now to be able to say no to sin, say, God, as far as I know, I want to say no to those things that separate me from you. And I want to say yes to the things that draw me closer to you. If that's you, if you today are ready to say, yes, God, I need your forgiveness. Yes, God, I need your love. Yes, God, I need your grace. Maybe for you, you're ready to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need a fresh start. I need to say yes 
to you. And if that's you, wherever you're at right now, I'm going to invite you to share a prayer that is just a prayer that many people, you know, hundreds of households will be saying it. But for you, it'll be the first time or maybe you've drifted away. And today's the day where you're like, I'm tired of saying no to God. I need to say yes to him. And if that's you, I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of love. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. Thank you for saying no and not coming down from the cross. I know you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, so I could follow you. And I could live for you the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you said that prayer for the very first time, I want you to know that all of heaven is celebrating with you. And if you would just kind of, you know, tap on that raise hand, or if you want to, uh, you can go to thejar.org slash accept, and someone will get with you to be able to help you on this new journey. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, uh, please go ahead and ask for that. Our host would love to pray with you. Um, like I said, we'll be opening up on June 21st. And so if you can volunteer in any way, we need your help. Please do that. If you're back at work or this is your first week going back, be safe. Uh, you know, do all the social distancing kind of things. If you're able to continue to give financially to help, we want to do that so that we can continue to impact all of East Central Indiana and really throughout the country with God's love. So right now, I just want to let you know, Go through your week and say no to some things. But may you say yes to the one who knows you best and who loves you most. Know that you're loved in this place and have a great week. Thanks, everybody.